everyone, and welcome to episode 382 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Seth Fred Olive, and we have the full crew here this week, kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you this fine Monday, Richard? Hey, Seth. Doing well. How are you doing? I am doing uh, surprisingly well. I had a lot of fun watching Magic this weekend. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I, I watched a ton of new Capenna Championships, and it was actually really entertaining but i'm getting out of myself we'll get to that in a minute we got another awesome co-hosted crab crab good morning how are you today good morning i'm i'm doing all right myself uh like yeah mostly just also enjoying a little bit of standard and whatnot so yeah that's actually one of our topics for today we're going to be talking about the new capenna championships which happened this weekend uh we got to watch some of it there was also some op news uh there's some Oh boy, Wizards OP. Some pros are not happy about how the tournament went, how Worlds qualifiers went, so we wanted to get into that a little bit. And then, of course, we are right in the middle of Commander Legends Battle for Boulder Gate spoiler season. We got a ton of stuff to talk about, new mechanics, so we're going to talk about all that as well before answering your fish mail questions. So that's the overview of the cast for today. Before we jump into it, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit, and we've been telling you about Card Conduit, a great way to sell your magic collection and their curated shipment service that'll let you sell your valuable cards with a reduced service fee for a while now. And as long as your cards have a retail value of at least $2, you can send in as many as you want and still just pay a 5% service fee. And as with all of Card Conduit services, you don't gotta sort your cards, you don't gotta grade your cards, you get to skip over all those hassles and just safely package everything up and ship it out. And you'll even get a detailed report with the results. So you can check out Card Conduit's curated shipment option as a way to buy list cards with fast Fast processing, optimized prices, and the low, low service fee of just 5%. And you can even get another 10% off by heading over to cardconduit.com slash mtggoldfish. Card Conduit, they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards. So thank you to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And let's talk some magic. Let's start with uh, with the tournament stuff, and then we'll uh, talk spoilers for the rest of the cast. So this weekend was a new Capenna Championship, which I guess is kind of roughly a Pro Tour equivalent. We're going to have traditional pro tours back in not too distant future but these have been the equivalent the equivalent of a pro tour for the last year or two uh richard what actually happened at this tournament let's talk a little bit about the decks and then we'll talk about uh all the other stuff that came along with it all right so i did not watch the tournament uh i did i did follow it because i was posting the deck lists and whatnot uh and there were some saucy deck lists here so the format was split uh, standard historic uh, and the standard part was especially interesting so Jan Merkel won the whole event uh, with a Jeskai Hinata deck uh, and then if you look at the top eight we have a really good mixture of decks we have uh, three Esper midrange a Jeskai Storm a Jeskai Hinata a Naya midrange Grixis Vampire and then two Jun midranges so Mid-range seems key, uh, but lots of different colors, lots of different strategies, and even within the same colors, uh, some pretty saucy stuff like Storm and Hinata and Standard. Like, it's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. This Standard was so much fun to watch. So I actually watched quite a bit this weekend, a little bit on and off while I was doing other stuff, but I caught as much as I could, and Standard was just 
super entertaining. I skipped over the historic rounds. I don't really care about watching, you know, 35% of people bash each other with our clay phoenixes. I, I've seen that before. <laughs> but standard was incredibly entertaining. There were so many mid-range decks, and that led to a lot of just really interactive back and forth games. I think there was a game in the, the top eight. It was uh, Mike Sigrist versus Hasabachi uh, Yoshigo. And it was one of the best games of Magic I've seen in a long time. Sadly, the match ended up ending with Siggy timing out in game three. But the game two in that was just like haymaker after haymaker. Both players were empty handed. Both were close to dying and just people top decking each other back and forth. And it looked like one would win and then someone would top deck and it'd swing back the other way. It was the most fun I've had watching standard in in years and years, honestly, it was just absolutely a joy to watch these standard matches. So I was blown away at how good standard was like that was my biggest takeaway. Did you get to see any of it, Krim? Uh, I tuned in for a few rounds here and there. Uh, and, and yeah, like this is kind of like a little bit uh, just what I've kind of felt like about standard uh, since I don't know, since Kamigawa came out. And it's that it just has gotten better and better. Uh, even within like the three colors, there's multiple archetypes and decks, different builds, and it's just a lot of fun to see the standard play out right now. This is a solid, pretty solid standard. And I, I don't know if this is just because of how miserable the past standard was, uh, but like, what, since war, like, it, once Eldrain hit, it's just been downhill, right? So, but I think Kamigawa kind of brought it back. Capenna added a lot of fun stuff to the standard, and we're finally just seeing good old fair mid-range haymaker like back and forth, right? So I I really like the standard right now. I I myself have been having the time of my life, uh, just kind of like playing it and watching it. So yeah, and going into the deck list a bit more, it it gets spicy outside the top eight too. Um, <clears throat> you see like Naya Rune decks, uh, Mill decks, uh, Tempo decks. Basically, because mana is so good and because I guess we're so dirtily mid-rangey, like anything goes, right? Like you, you can do whatever you want. So this is like the first magic event I regret not watching in a long time. Uh, just like seeing the deck list and seeing uh, the diversity and the, the different strategies, I kind of regret not really. I spent the weekend watching mid Midsummer Invitational League of Legends. Uh, <laughs> it was awesome too. So I, I don't regret, but you know, if I had more time, I would want. I, I would definitely want to watch Magic here because it. It's. I don't know what happened. Like Standard looks so good, and I don't know why no one is talking about it. Uh, I don't know if it's because we're in perpetual spoiler season. Everything is commander content, or we just given up on organized play. But. It would have been nice if this event had more hype. Yeah, it really deserved more hype because the decks were cool. The gameplay was really good. There are even some great storylines. By far my favorite, and I was rooting so hard for uh, Yoshigo, Hasamachi Yoshigo. Apparently the story of this is he only started playing Magic two years ago. And then he built this Naya mid-range deck as a homebrew for fun. And he was like, oh, I'm going to go to my LGS and play a tournament, you know, because I want to jam this deck. This deck looks really fun. He ended up winning the tournament and he didn't realize until after the fact when people started uh, congratulating him that it was a qualifier for the new Capenna championship. <laughs> so he shows up and he was like, yeah, I'm just here by accident. Like, I'm just having fun. And you could see him on camera through the entire, every match he was on camera. He just looked like he was having a blast. 
blast. He was like responding to people's top decks and like just loving it, just enjoying it and playing it. And he made it all the way through to, I think like the semis, the setup of these top eights is really weird, but he got knocked down to the lower bracket and made it like one match away, I think from the lower finals. So he went super far in the, in the tournament and it's just such a great story. Like that's, that's everyone's dream. You make your homebrew, you go to play at your LGS and next thing you know, you're at the top eight of the equivalent of a pro tour and just loving every minute of it. So that story like totally made the tournament for me, but really we got to see a lot of cool things. We got to see a ton of street of uh, streets of new Capenna. A lot of the decks are these three color decks. We see Ginny phase and we see Evelyn. I was surprised at vampires being a real deck. That's not something I'd really seen on the ladder. So we got to see vampires being good. Of course, Esper is still there with the Rafines doing its thing. It was just, it's a really good standard and it does deserve to be talked about more and it does deserve to be played more because standards in the best place it's been in in many years i think right now so take advantage of it if you can i have a question so, Seth. what, what oh, were yeah. the stream numbers looking like oh bad of course <laughs> and we'll see we'll see if this comes back once we get paper pro tours i i still think there's a disconnect honestly they've been doing these set championships for two years now and it wasn't until the Kamigawa Championships, where I tweeted something about it, and someone actually let me know that it was roughly the equivalent of Pro Tours. I thought they were just like, I don't know, the top 1200 on Arena qualifies for it or something. I didn't realize it was actually supposed to be a big deal. So I'm really hopeful that the Pro Tour name coming back is going to help there, and at least people will know that it's a tournament that matters, because I don't think New Capenna Championship actually expresses that to people plus wizards i'm sure could promote it more and promote it better but the stream numbers i don't think they hit 10k at least any time when i was watching unless they managed to spike it you know when i when i wasn't looking but they're running in the like seven to nine k range which is good for a magic stream these days like that's more than an individual streamer is going to draw but compared to pro tours getting you know 20 30 the best ones 40 to fifty thousand, not not great numbers Speaking of not speaking of not great, while the gameplay of the tournament was really excellent and the storylines were great, there was still some drama, uh, quite a bit of drama. Richard, what was the what was the drama that kind of came out of this tournament and uh, the qualifiers for Worlds, which were kind of the, the other big storyline of this tournament is this was the last tournament for people to qualify for Worlds. Yeah, so it wouldn't be pro magic without some uh, without some spicy drama. But basically, Paulo <laughs> took to Twitter and kind of just roasted Watsi on their format. Um, so the the TLDR is like this, right? So they they split the allocations to worlds into two buckets, and players from one bucket, uh, you know, that missed out from that bucket performed better than players that got in on the other bucket. Uh, so that was a bit weird, right? Like someone with like more points uh, did not make it because they were just in a different grouping. Um, and then yeah. the the little cherry on top was uh, a little tidbit where uh, some match results uh, where there, there was like some hiccup in the tournament where there was some miscommunication between judges and players. And then both players were uh, both players <laughs> of that match were awarded a buy. So they both won that match. And. <laughs> It turns out that those people uh, were ahead of other people that didn't make it to Worlds. And, like, that was actually consequential. Um, and then there's some drama about, like, you know, what actually went down and whatnot. But the, the end result was, like, the Wizards uh, tournament format left a little to be desired. And then you had basically one of the greatest 
a magic players of all time kind of just like in disdain about missing worlds and like not missing worlds like missing worlds is normal right like this happens but missing worlds do do a format that's kind of set up uh that doesn't really make any sense um so that's yeah that's the drama and you know a lot of players are affected by this right like lsv missed worlds i think uh, apollo uh, i actually don't know what happened because the, the numbers changed slightly after the event versus before the event but a bunch of players Felt like they deserved to make it, but they did not due to the format structure. And there were also just some some normal arena issues. Someone uh, crashed in the top eight and ended up <laughs> timing out, which was kind of disappointing. There was also a yeah. time on day one where 20 people disconnected at the same time. And Wizard said, it's not on our end. And everyone was like, how could 20 people disconnect at the same time? If like if independently, what are the odds of that? And they all got they all lost as a result of it. So there's definitely some technological issues, uh, you know, the ah, technology on uh, on top of it. The most disappointing part is I think that uh, LSV, apparently, if either one of the people in the match that both people ended up winning, if either one of them had lost, like if it just ended like a normal match, from what I understand, LSV would have made Worlds on tiebreakers, but he ended up missing because of both of those players winning that match and getting more match points. So I can see why people would be frustrated with that. Like, it seems like a pretty sketchy system. I guess for me, my main hope is, I don't know, the OP announcement was really good. Paper Pro Tours were really well received. People seem hyped about that. Limited is going to be returning to Pro Tours. So maybe... This fixes itself as we move to this new slash old new organized play system, you know, starting the end of this year. So I'm holding out hope for that. But yeah, as good as the gameplay was, a lot of people seem to come away from the tournament with some uh, some bad feelings about the overall state of organized play and worlds and whatnot. I mean, I'd be pretty tilted if that's how I didn't make, you know, top eight or anything like that or worlds. So... I think it's a it's a little little justified. That's a little upsetting. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really make any like. How can two players walk away from a match with a win? Like, <laughs> like I understand there was a hiccup, but why didn't they just like force a rematch or something? You know what I mean? Like, yes, it will suck if you're winning, but like, why would you just both get a win? Like that just throws the rest of the tournament and the season into disarray. So that's super awkward. And, so. Yeah. so- just to clarify that uh, a little bit, that match didn't happen during this tournament. It happened during like the last tournament. Yeah. So I think they were hoping that it would just not end up mattering as far as world standards, <laughs> but it really did. Oh. But, the, <laughs> but we don't care about recording the results correctly. It won't matter anyways. <laughs> apparently, the, the it, it was an administration error, essentially, where apparently the story is there was a bug and there was... Uh, some disagreement over whether when they restarted the match, they were going to count the time that people had spent during the first game before the bug happened. And one player was told, yes, the clocks are going to start from where they left off, essentially. So they played towards their opponent timing out. But the administrator didn't tell the other player that the clocks were going to stay at their same place. And they thought the clock was resetting, so they didn't worry about timing out. So the match ended. One player thought they had won. The other player thought their opponent had time out, so they had won. And then the administrators were like oh this was our bad guys like we didn't tell you know we didn't pass the information along to both players so we're just gonna give you both a win (laughs) it's just a ridiculous like what kind of solution is that like oh it does not 
As much as I'm excited about the future of OP and Huey being in charge and the announcement about paper pro tours, stuff like that definitely doesn't give you confidence in the in the whole system. Like if that's the solution. I mean, what doesn't give you confidence is two of the biggest names <laughs> in your <laughs> game, the history of your game, right? Like not getting by on technicalities and then being disgruntled and you know i don't know where this leads right like maybe maybe paulo promotes another game right like is this the is this the last straw i i don't know but this is not good right like we're talking about star you know star power and you know building personalities and not like this is not what you want right so very strange very strange um and then there oh there was a little another rub that Paulo threw in there about uh, Hall of Fame invites, and apparently you don't get them if you attempt to qualify for the event. So you can use one at your discretion, but if you attempt to qualify for it, you're not allowed to use it for that event. And he's just like, what the heck? <laughs> like, well, I don't want this system, right? So, so yeah, a lot yeah. of grievances. It wouldn't be Worlds without another controversy. Remember the Jerry T thing? So, yeah, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> that, is, that is very weird, because it seems like you'd want hall of fame members to be playing magic that seems like a win even if the game's not streamed like people are just gonna like seeing paulo or whatever when they go to play some random qualifier so i feel like for wizards you would want to encourage people to play so the idea that you would kind of punish people for trying to qualify for an event by not letting them use their hall of fame invite is that just doesn't make any sense to me what's the what's the upside of that from watsi's perspective i i don't really see it anyway any other thoughts on uh, the tournament, any of the OP stuff, before we get to uh, Commander Legends 2? All right, so we're in the middle of spoiler season. We're about halfway through. Spoilers go all through this week, and then we get pre-cons at the beginning of next week. So maybe not even halfway through spoiler season. We have a ton of info, though. We got so many cards, new mechanics. So, Richard, why don't you guide us through these uh, mechanics and cards? All right. Uh, we got a ton of Baldur's Gate this weekend or this week Ooh, did we so, so remember this is a commander draft so this is legal in commander this is legal in legacy backwards um so we have a couple new mechanics and first up it's the background mechanic and essentially you will have commanders that have the text choose a background uh, so they can be your commander and then what backgrounds are are basically an enchantment you can have in the command zone. So think of it as a partner uh, that contributes to your color identity and you can mix and match. Uh, so for example, for one commander, you can choose a certain background to build a, a gruel deck and then another one to build uh, a Golgari deck or something like that. So for examples, we have Karlak, Fury of Avernus, 4 Nared, 5-4, Legendary Creature, Tiefling Barbarian, when you attack, if it's the first combat phase of the turn, untap all attacking creatures. They gain first strike until end of turn. After this phase, there's additional combat. And then it has the choose your background. And then you may pair it with, say, raised by giants, which is five and a green legendary enchantment background. Commander creatures you own have base power and toughness 10-10 and are giants in addition to their other types. So if you choose these two cards, you basically have a gruel deck and these two cards in your command zone. What do y'all think of this mechanic? I'm, I'm really curious. So obviously it seems really cool for limited. I like that aspect of it. And this is a draftable set, so that's a concern. But do you think this is going to be a popular mechanic in actual 
full-on commander. To me, ah, it really nails it flavor-wise, I think, from a D&D perspective, because you have, like, your commander's the character, and then you get to choose their backstory, essentially. So I, I think the flavor's really good. Power level, though, I'm actually kind of, like, Man, like it seems way worse than actual partners to me because a lot of the backgrounds feel like they're pretty safe. And most of them, you got to have your your commander creature on the battlefield for them to do anything. So if you can't actually keep your creature commander going, then the other part of your partner pairing is kind of just a dead card in a huge percentage of the cases. So I don't know. I'm actually a little bit unenthused, I guess I would say, about this this background mechanic. Wait, am I missing something? Is it more exciting than I think? I, I feel like everything is super powered down um i don't know maybe maybe because you know the we've been used to like a lot higher power and especially with commander legends attached to it i thought this would be just i don't know the background seemed super safe uh like you had mentioned if anything they they kind of feel underwhelming like like i wouldn't if it weren't for the flavor aspect i probably wouldn't play these enchantments normally right uh i i i do love the idea though of wilson the bear being a, a demon right <laughs> So like that that is that is pretty hilarious, but fla- outside of flavor, I don't know. I mean, I like the the idea behind it, but the execution just feels like the cards are kind of weak. I mean, I think like really, you're like if you if you play Carlac, right? Whatever background you choose is just to add your second color, right? Like you, you're playing Carlac for the five mana five four that gives you an extra combat, and then this extra card that gives you color access. And if you view it like that, I think they're fine, right? It's not the same as a partner, but I don't like the design because it's needlessly complicated and it kind of defeats the purpose of commander. Like now you're just like putting random stuff in the command zone so you can just play whatever colors you want. And that's that's like the good old like child of Alara play random pile, like whatever, right? Like, I, I don't know, like what's... We have so many legendaries. Why do we need these like modular legendary things? Like, what is the point? So it's just super confusing, and I don't, I don't really like the I, design of it. Forget power. I, I think it's going to be just for this set, though, right? Like any D and D set, because this really just feels like it's meant to be a build your own commander mechanic, right? And that which makes sense with D and D. I think that makes a lot of sense with D and D. I wonder how much of it's just limited. How much of it is the pressure to have a, a fun limited environment on top of making a fun commander set? Because I do think this will probably play really well in limited, and they want you to be able to have a whole bunch of these lower color or lower rarity, um, you know, partners essentially. So you're going to make sure that no matter what you end up drafting, you're going to have commanders to lead your deck. Because I think that's a nightmare is somehow someone drafts a deck and then doesn't have the legends to play enough cards and they can't actually build a deck. So I think that's part of what they're trying to do. But I think that the focus on limited maybe takes away from commander itself. So... Yeah, I don't know. I'm also just kind of meh on this mechanic. It seems complicated. It messes with the command zone, so it kind of takes a little bit away from the authenticity of Commander. Like, I already kind of didn't like the other mechanics they made to interact with the command zone, like Eminence or even Partner I was kind of meh on. And this one takes it even a step further where you're just throwing a random enchantment in there just for the sake of doing it. So to me, it feels like a miss other than flavor. I'm waiting for the third partner like the the triplet like they they seem very intent with like messing with the command zone so you can currently have two partners in a companion but i think they're going to add like a third 
partner <laughs> any moment now. Like they, they seem pretty intent. Or maybe you, you add a sorcery here next. We have an enchantment so we can be full uh, Oathbreaker. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe a planeswalker. Throw one there too. Uh, so I, I don't know. This is like so complex. This is like I need to sell cards. So I, I need to like jam stuff in to make it look unique and exciting. But you could have just like made commanders that were exciting, like to begin with, and then we, you can just avoid all of this. So eh. uh, that's but, but flavor that's one of my wise, disappointments. Uh, that doesn't work, right? Because because with D and D, I think you want to build your own commander. I, so. <sighs> How about I build my own deck? That's like I mean, customization. <laughs> like I don't know. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but like I, I the yeah. background, I I like it. I like it flavor wise. I think flavor wise, this is really cool. Uh, I'm not, I don't play that much D and D, but I I know the idea behind D and D and like what makes it like, you know, fun. Uh, and and this is kind of like mixing that in here. So I I like it from that standpoint. The only problem is if it's so powered down that no one actually plays it, then <clears throat> who gets the D&D flavor anyway? <laughs> like if everyone just ignores this and no one builds background decks, is it really a win? I feel. Like- <laughs> I guess that would be my worry. Maybe they powered it down because partner, the originals were just so busted. Like it's inherently strong to have two commanders when most people have one commander. So maybe they just felt the need that they had to go really safe with these to avoid having the original partner problem again, where they, uh, they just ended up being like kind of busted and like super CDHE. So maybe they just played it super safe. I, I think they, it definitely feels like, uh, part of that is, uh, is in play here, right? After the first Commander Legends and the last batch of partners, I think there was, uh, they definitely wanted to dial it back this time around. And, uh, even if we don't play it, right? I think this might, is it possible? Is it just possible that this might be more so for the D&D crowd than the Magic crowd? Maybe, but. Is the D&D crowd, uh, the D&D crowd also has to be at least a little bit part of the magic crowd because right. uh, to play with the cards. So, it's, yeah. Although but, I was talking to Tomer about it and he was also kind of meh, I think. And this is like designed for him because he's like the biggest D&D fan I know. So, so I don't know. I don't even know if it hit the mark completely for D&D fans. At least I, let, let us know if you're watching this on YouTube or someplace you can comment. I'm really curious what the overall feeling is especially from D fans is this something you're just like hyped for because the D flavor is so good or is it more of a like and eh, whatever the power level is not that high i'm gonna stick with my my partners or my normal commanders or whatever all right um we have another mechanic initiative uh so initiative is basically monarch for dungeons uh so when you when you get initiative you get to go into a dungeon uh and then you can lose initiative uh, when other people attack you. So White Plume Adventurer uh, is a card with initiative. So two and a white 3-3 three, three creature or cleric at rare. When it enters the battlefield, you take initiative. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, untap a creature you control. If you've completed a dungeon, untap all creatures you control instead. And along with initiative, we have a new dungeon, the Undercity. And uh, the way it works is if you take initiative from someone you automatically enter the Undercity. Uh, so it's a new dungeon. It doesn't look like anything crazy, uh, but, you know, there, there are lots of dungeons, so you, you need to take a look at it. Or there are a lot of rooms, so you need to take a look at the card. I'm not going to read all 50 lines of text here. This I mean, is another mechanic that... I love Monarch, 
Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Monarch's the single best multiplayer mechanic they've ever made. So I'm excited about having another Monarch-like mechanic where it's going to force people to attack each other. Like, you can see it in Commander Clash. But I especially, and also Tomer, we will go way out of our way to try to hit the person with the crown to draw that extra card. And I think that this new mechanic's going to do something similar. Although it is a little weird and also confusing that... We now have like initiative and venture into dungeons and like initiative can only get you into the undercity, but venturing into a dungeon can't get you in the undercity, even though it's a dungeon and the whole like uh, atmosphere around this mechanic is really confusing to me because it's so similar to dungeons, but actually doesn't interact with dungeons in the way that might be intuitive to most people. Wait, why can't I mean, you use this with the old cards? <laughs> So, like, well, if you play like, a venture into a dungeon card, undercity. you're not allowed. My my understanding is that you can only get into the undercity with initiative cards. Once you're in the undercity, if you play a venture into a dungeon card, it'll keep you progressing yeah. through the undercity. Uh, and then your initiative cards only get you into the undercity and can't get you into the dungeons from the old set, from AFR. Although, again, they'll keep moving you through the rooms if you're already in a dungeon because you can only be in one at once. So... I don't know why they did it like that. Not to power creep the old cards because now they have. Access. I guess, yeah. You, so. you, you spoke about Monarch, but the Undercity rooms are kind of underwhelming. I don't, I don't know if we're going on an all-out Undercity <laughs> underwhelming. God, nice. <laughs> it's like search your library for basic land, put in your hand, put two plus one plus one counters on a creature. Try to play the last mode is nice. The last mode's pretty good. Yeah, get a, they, get a creature essentially from your top ten and give it three plus one plus one counters, and it gains hexproof until your next turn. Like, yeah. it maybe I don't know. It's probably comparable, you right? For? You guys should hold it for five turns uninterrupted. <laughs> no, but you can keep stealing it back, so you hit the person and get it back and go through the next room and keep keep progressing through that way. I think unless somebody hits it, you yeah. right? So if they hit are you, we, it's fine, are we you keep your progress right? You just. So, yeah. So you don't like go backwards. So as long as you get this thing five times, you're you're good to go. Um, yeah. It plays it plays a little weird. Like if you're playing if you're playing initiative cards, you kind of got to have these undercity cards for the whole table, right? Like because they might not have them in your deck, and this seems kind of hard to track without actually having the token there to move through the rooms. So I I don't know. We are getting a little more board gamey, as you mentioned uh, when we were getting the the cast going. Like now you get the monarch going around, and you get nope. four of these undercity tokens, and that's a that's a lot going on. The table's getting a little bit cluttered. I think. I mean, I look at this mechanic, and I'm like, wow, cool mechanic. I'm like. Oh, great. More crap in you take. Like, you know, I got to keep track of, right? <laughs> like, this is just needlessly complex. Like, why? Like, if I'm not playing a dungeon deck, why do I have to keep track of dungeons? <laughs> right? It's, it's like the stupid Celestis day night thing. It's on your battlefield, even if you don't own a Celestis and the Celestis is gone. It's like, yeah, it's day. Now it's night. Now it's day. I'm like, I don't know this. <laughs> I'm not playing this yeah. card. Like, leave that to the person playing the card, right? Like, oh. Maybe that's the power of the mechanic. It forces your opponent to spend some of their, you know, finite brain power tracking the undercity. So you turn that to your advantage and, and get them why they can't focus as much because they're trying to keep track of a room they're going into. Uh, so do we like the mechanic? Do you think it's good? Do we just like it because it makes a fun multiplayer environment or do we yes. actually think it's good? I, I like the multiplayer part of it. The more multiplayer things that you can add into a, a game of Commander that isn't too distracting, I think is fine. I think this is a cool mechanic. I think most of the floors before the last one aren't that good. 
But I guess, again, it comes down to how, like, how good are the cards that this is attached to, right? Like the things that are taking us into the Undercity, the one that's giving us initiative. Because if this is just the cherry on top of initiative, then that's fine. Sure. Yeah, I think this is definitely a fun multiplayer mechanic. That's how I'm looking at it. But from what we've seen so far, it doesn't come across as like a, a super strong mechanic. Maybe I'm a little biased because uh, of how Power Down Dungeons ended up being in most cases. But so far, we've only seen like mostly random uncommons. We saw one rare, a bunch of uncommons. So maybe that'll change as we get the rest of spoilers. Maybe there's some crazy legend that works with initiative that'll make it more exciting. But for now, I'm just viewing it as like, I, I would throw an initiative card in my deck just because I like the monarch and I think it leads to fun commander games. So I don't think it's powerful, but I do think it'll be fun. All right. Uh, next up, I think <laughs> this is the most exciting card for me. Gondgate, unofficial translation. Uh, land gate. Gates you control enter the battlefield untapped. Tap to add a colorless. Tap to add one man of any color that a gate you control could produce. And it's an uncommon. So good. Uh, by far, my favorite part of this set is the new gate support. We also got a, a Baldur's Gate, which is Cabal Coffers for gates. Uh, adds a colorless, comes into play untapped, and then you tap it and pay two to make a mana for each gate you control. So I'm super excited about gate support. I love gates because I think they're one of the best ways to build a budget mana base. And I think that's definitely doubly true now, thanks to this new Commander Legend stuff. If you don't have access to fetches and shocks in like the expensive top tier mana base, cards like Gon's Gate and Baldur's Gate is going to make your gate super duper ultra budget cheap mana base be able to keep up with those expensive fetch land shock land mana bases and we're to the point now they're supposed to be I think 10 gates they said in the set altogether and we've seen two of them but if they're anywhere close to this power level I think the gates might just be the optimal way to build budget mana. Like uh, this gets around all the drawbacks. There's tons of way to tutor out gates. So you can find your gone gates. And then all of a sudden all your other gates are great because they're coming to play untapped. Uh, and you get mazes end as a finisher. I think the gate support is for me the most exciting part of the set so far. I I don't know. I mean, sure. I, I for a budget mana base, I think so. Yeah. What, what if you just run like the 37 basic special? Like, oh. This is great if you have God Gate on the battlefield. If you don't, all your lands enter the battlefield. Tapped, yeah, then you have right? all gates. <laughs> so but, I I don't know. Is it is it is this actually the ultimate budget mana base? It's the most brain dead one. You don't need to think, right? You're just like, okay, I'll just add all the guild gates, right? But can you muster up some percentage of basics and you know whatever the budget, you know the Innistrad rares or whatever you know random standard cycle that never hit it big like use one of those like is that <laughs> the the choked estuaries and, and, and port towns oh my god oh my god but if you're not those i'd i'd play gates pre-commander legends too before i play the <laughs> snarl cycle good but god there's some probability those enter untapped without a god gate you know like, yeah i, I think those would enter untapped more than the gone gate because yeah. there's only one Right. I, I, re I respect the gates, though, because I, I know where they stand. I just know they're coming into play. Tap the snarls. You never know. You never know what. It's like a psychological thing. They they trick you into thinking they might be good and then just dash your hopes. They're Do you not think gates are going to be the the best way to build a budget mana base? Or are we not to that point? Because that's where I've been 
kind of leaning that like if you're playing budget, your lands are probably going to come into play untapped anyway. So you might as well have this gone gate and maybe your lands don't come into play tapped, have Baldur's Gate and you get your own budget cabal coffers. Plus you get Maze's End as a, you know, a way to tutor up the gates that you need. Or would you still play like, I don't know, whatever other random cheap lands? I... I don't know. It depends on the random cheap lands. Like, I, I even like the snow duels from Kaldheim because they have the f- land type. Um, no, but you can't true. fetch them because you're, can't. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. Budget, right. You're I guess right, if you, you have a far seek or something, you're good, right? Yeah. Not greed. Can't fetch them. Well, I mean, if you're u- using guild gates and you're trying to fetch out a ton of guild gates, you're probably also using green, right? So I assume that far seek will probably be somewhere in there or could be in there. Uh, I don't know. And there's like circuitous route or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, so, I, I think right, if you're playing green, you don't need the gates unless you're building a gate deck, right? Because you have the fetchable duels. But every other color, like, maybe. But I feel like there's some way to finagle a working mana base because... You really are reliant on God Gate. And how do you get the God Gate out, right? You need an expedition map. That's like turn three. But in reality, that's turn four because all your lands enter the battlefield tapped, right? Like, There's also that like one mana, like, isn't there like a one mana gate tutor? Like creature? There are a bunch of ways. The, there's there's a two mana gate creeper vine, a two mana there we gate go. tutor creature. There's also a, a, a tune with ether for gates, but then you're in green. Are you so playing you these cards it, I in guess. a non-gate deck though? <laughs> like, no, no, no. Yeah, so, no, no, no. But we're talking about a generic budget mana base for for gates, right? So yeah, I don't know. I think you have to look at it. I mean, but it's it's certainly the most easy one. Like everyone has guild gates sitting around, so you just take them all, slap this thing, and call it a day. Uh, so I think there's an argument for that. And I think also worth mentioning, it's probably more important for if uh, you're like four or five colors. Like if you're just two colors. Then you don't get that many Guildgate anyway. So I think this is especially going to be impactful for four or five color style budget decks, which are probably the decks that need the most help because five colors where your shocks and triomes and fetch lands, that's where they pay off the most because you're always going to have access to your colors. So I think this will at least help with like budget five color mana bases. Savage lands. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Next up, we have uh, Elminster. A uh, new legendary planeswalker that can be your commander. So three white and a blue. So five mana value, five starting loyalty, has a passive. Whenever you scry, the next instant or sorcery spell you cast this turn costs X less to cast, where X is the number of cards looked at while scrying this way. Plus two, draw a card, then scry two. Minus three, exile the top card of your library, create a number of one, one, Blue fairy dragon creature tokens with flying equal to that card's mana value. Uh, <laughs> I think this card's kind of kind of doo doo. <laughs> Ooh, I really? was thinking Crim might like this one. This is no, this, this is this is not the good one. I I'm, I I don't know. I think like a majority of this set just feels maybe it's just not like flashy as the other stuff, but this feels kind of boring and not that great. I mean, I like the minus. I guess it's like it's kind of cool, but. I, I don't know. I mean, I it just seems okay. So scrying's kind of a weird thing to care about. We don't have a ton of scry matters commanders. I think there's that one I get or something. The one Sphinx from Last Commander Legends that cares about it. Yeah. So it's kind of unique that it cares about scrying. I do kind of like this card as far as planeswalkers that can be your commander, just because of that negative three. I feel like 
one of the problems with planeswalkers being your commanders is it's really easy to play them and then plus two to draw a card or whatever and then just have it get killed and not really get much value out of it for five mana but the negative three can potentially make a lot of blockers so maybe you can actually keep your elminster on the battlefield for a little bit and it does kind of it's self-contained. The plus two draws a card and scries two, and then the next instant or sorcery you cast is going to get a two-mana discount, so maybe you can, like, chain together card draw spells or cast a wrath on the cheap to keep your Elminster around. So as far as Planeswalkers that can be your commander goes, I feel like it's fine. I don't know. It's not really my style of commander, like a, a blue-white Drago, like Azoria-style deck. That, that's not really my, my style, but... For what it is, it seems okay. I don't, I don't think it's like, or like as a commander, I don't think it's not, I don't think it's that great. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, it's, it's not I'm not a, a fan of it card. as a commander. I would not call yeah. it. It's like some like storm card or something. Like you're trying to take advantage of that scry or like a super go wide. Like I think that minus three is actually really good. Like you can probably hit like a seven or eight drop quite easily, quite easily in quotes. Uh, but then that's like. <laughs> You know, seven one ones, eight one ones, right? And you know, you have MDFC, Seagate Restoration, Amerias, uh, whatever, like as cards that people play that easily trigger this. You have all the cost reduction, like Vanquish the Horde, uh, Our Revelation, like all these cards are mm-hmm. here that you can actually use and make a ton of like fairy dragons. So I think you would build around that minus three more than that, you know, the, the scry, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe that's the way to do it. If you focus on the negative three, it does work with the Scry plan because Scry lets you set up the top of your deck. You're probably going to have Scroll Racks and Sensei's Divining Tops to do like Eureka shenanigans where you can set up the top of your deck and then flip into something huge and make a whole bunch of one ones. I can see that. And then worst case, like if this is five mana, make 10 one ones or something, even if it dies somehow, like you're kind of fine with that. That's a fine deal for five mana. That's that's a lot of tokens. So maybe it's maybe it actually is this weird Eureka control the top of your deck token style commander. I, I look at it the other way where I think it's going to be how much can you really get like get that value from the scrying. I think the minus is like kind of medium because it's not like I get to cast the card, right? I don't get to get the card. Well, it's like the most efficient scry you can do. Like, so the idea is like you would scry and then cast like, I don't know, Blatant Thievery, Amanatsu's Augury yeah. or something. So like, what's the best scrying ritual that like, we have? The, I mean, you could use, what's that? Uh, there's the the blue one. Uh, uh, is there a scry with, four? There's a scry three with addendum, right? Yeah, there's there's a bunch of scry threes. There's, <laughs> there's one a, mana. <laughs> Oh no! There's there's a four, there's a four mana creature, Cryptic Analid. That's when it ETBs Scry one, then Scry two, then Scry three. <laughs> so that's like plus two mana, but that's a four mana one four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no one mana I mean, like do something Scry three. I'm shocked. There's actually. the Starfish, the one that like I think you tap it. It's like one or two oh, mana. Okay, <laughs> and you Scry here, one. Here it is. Mystic Speculation, one mana sorcery, scry three, buyback of two. <laughs> oh. Got him. That's so much Wait, wait, wait. Do you just infinite? Huh? Wait. Well, you can... Oh, because oh, you can't reduce the only, buyback. You can't reduce the yeah, buyback. It's, yeah, it's only reducing... Well, it reduces the buyback, but you can't reduce the blue mana. So you're going to run out of blue mana, I think. Because Elminster only reduces the generic part of the cost, not the blue part. I see, I see. But even like... Even like a preordain, one mana, scry two, draw a card, like you're kind of turning that into a desperate ritual almost, 
man, you just try to chain it together, I guess. Yeah. Eh? I, I think that's I the, know. that's the, I feel that like where you're getting the value from. Cause again, I just don't know if that minus three is what I want. Cause it's, uh, I just wish I got to cast the spell or something like that. That'd be great. But I guess casting a spell plus like an X amount of one, one flying is a bit powerful, but I mean, they go, they go together. You're supposed to somehow scry and ramp into like a giant spell. Right. And then if you can't, then you just minus three to make some one ones. Uh, unfortunately, you surveil might, you doesn't count here. Want- so. You probably want well, that what about, giant spell, though. What about a being like a Miracles style commander, Krim? Is this where you can do your <laughs> your Sensei's Divining Top shenanigans and play your Terminus and play like Legacy Miracles? You break just, out your counterbalances. Is this I, I, a good I, option for that? No, I would just go Aminatu instead. Aminatu's two uh, mana less, and I get the addition of black mana. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and the second the minus ability is really good. The plus one allows you to stack your deck how you need, and of course you have a trolling alt. So, like yeah, like I, the, it just feels like Aminatu would be better if I wanted to play like kind of like this top style commander. But what if you wanted budget yeah. Gandalf? This uh, that's the thing I wanted this to does ask. Not look too. like red Gandalf to you? <laughs> What's going that's on? That's what I was gonna ask. Like this looks just like Gandalf. I'm like how are you gonna put this out? And then when is Universes Beyond come out for Lord of the Rings? Like next year or this year? Maybe partnership yeah, terminated. Next, next year. <laughs> They're like well, we're <laughs> suing you for. <laughs> God. Apparently, I'll, we we're not D and D fans, but and I'm sure we're gonna get yelled at by D and D fans. But apparently, Elminster is like super iconic D and D character. This was a character that everyone was mad didn't show up in Adventures in Forgotten Realms. So apparently, it is like a really big deal in D and D world. I don't know D and D, but that's what everyone tells me at least. All right, I, I googled it. The, the real Elminster does look like Gandalf. <laughs> the question is, who came first and who's copy who? <laughs> All right. Uh, next up. Tasha, the Witch Queen, uh, three <laughs> blue and a black, so five mana value, can also be your commander like Elminster for starting loyalty. Whenever you cast a spell you don't own, create a 3-3 black demon creature token. Plus one, dry card for each opponent, exile up to one target instant or sorcery from that player's graveyard and put a page counter on it. Minus three, you may cast a spell from among cards in exile with page counters on them without paying its mana cost. This card now. Tasha has my allegiance here. This is a good (laughs) planeswalker here. This is what I'm talking about. Talking about like how you know, okay, well, you can Elminster minus get some bodies. This, I just get the body no matter what, as long as I cast the spell from somewhere else. I mean, from exile or something like, or it's just a spell I don't own, right? But it also draws a card. It's also able to hate out some spells. Like it's, it's like not like full on graveyard hate. Like this is where I'm cutting great, like graveyard hate for, but it's still able to like hit our opponent's graveyards a little bit. And then the minus is, you know, obviously up to you, right? Like how good is are the spells in the yard? Cause then you get to potentially cast it. And I like that a lot. This is a very good Planeswalker in Commander. A very powerful one, too. Oh, interesting. I think Tasha's looks really fun to play in some sort of theft-style deck. If you're, like, a Send Triplets or whatever, Nihilor fan. If you like that style of play, like, I think this is a really, really fun way to play it. I'm not sure about power level, though. I kind of think it's low-powered. Because what I imagine happens with this card is, first off, you got to cast spells you don't 
own to make demons. So it's going to take some setup. You're going to have to like gaunt your opponent first or like have something going on if you want to make the token right away. But what I think happens with this card is you spend five mana, you cast it, you plus it, you draw a card, you exile stuff. And then your opponents kill it. And then the next turn, you got to spend seven mana and negative three it. And you get to cast one of those spells for free, which kind of means you build a 12 mana Diluvian Primordial or something. Like, it just seems like a, a really expensive way to cast one of the spells from your opponent's graveyard. Unless you think it's going to survive. If it survives and you do all that for five mana, that's a pretty good deal. But I just, how does that actually survive the turn if you cast that? An uptick. I mean, I, I feel like the trade-off is that the power, like, sure, maybe Elminster gets a few bodies so you can chump block, but the, like, the ability to cast a spell here, like, her, her ability to, like, win a game or, like, take a game over, just totally reset a game is much higher, and, like, she feels way better than Elminster, because I, she yeah, still I, draws I, me a card, I right, at the very she's least. really strong. And yeah. Ooh. Like, so you can Wrath and cast Tasha, like, that's the classic planeswalker thing but you can think of that minus three as an ultimate right like you can get it is an ultimate saucy right like you can get like a big 10 mana spell or seven mana spell or something with it right like you can eerie ultimatum you can whatever blatant thievery with it so even in the worst case where you play it and it dies like what you do is you play it right you you target a wrath from one person you target a finisher from another person and you target a whatever and then they, they murder Tasha. And now you have seven mana, like, modal spell that can be a Wrath, a Finisher, or whatever, anytime you want out of your command zone. Uh, so you can do that. Uh, okay. You can just Wrath and play Tasha. Like, you know, there, you can keep your Planeswalker alive, right? I think Planeswalker to ultimate is really hard. Like, multiple upticks to ultimate. But, like, one plus followed by a minus I don't think is that difficult. Um, and then Black has your staples to trigger uh, Tasha, like Voidwalker, Gaunty, things like that. So you can trigger Hostage Tasha. Hostage Taker. Hostage Taker, yeah, in these colors. So I think you can actually trigger the passive without actually using Tasha herself. So I actually think she's kind of cool and interesting. Okay. I think it's definitely cool and interesting, and I think it'll make for a really fun deck, but... Uh, I don't know. I'm still not really sold on it being, like, a strong commander. To me, it seems like a really fun commander, but... I don't know if it's gonna be strong. I'm not. I'm not sold on strong yet. Free spell. I think free spell costs you seven mana, but it's free. <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah. twelve mana if you have to play it twice, <laughs> but it's free. You drew a card but... off of it. They said you drew. A card oh, that. Oh, that's that. remember. That. Uh, that's true. I've after activating uh, magnifying glass to draw a card for six mana. I should be thankful for this Tasha actually. So okay, okay, you got you got me. It does draw a card. <laughs> it's good. All right. Next up, we have Archivist of Ogma. <laughs> One in a white, two to halfling cleric. Oh, kid, 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 kid. Flash. Whenever an opponent searches their library, you gain one life and draw a card. <laughs> is this a staple? No. Is this is this a, a Esper Sentinel or something? I kind of lean towards. I mean, so it depends on your play group a little bit. If everyone's playing the gate mana base and you don't have a lot of green players, <laughs> then this card does nothing. But if everyone's playing like tier mana bases and people play green at the same rate that they do overall in commander doesn't this just draw you like three or four cards typically like every game and that's great for two mana i i i'm gonna be honest with you i tweeted this out and i still agree with it i think this card's not that good <laughs> Ooh. 
I think this car is like not that good. I think it's kind you, of Grim, mid, Grim, like what medium. What if I took Spirited at Companion and made it a tutu, <laughs> gained a life, and gave you a flash? <laughs> okay, Spirited Companion is an enchantment, which has a way higher upside to me than this card does. Just because, like this You're card. Just... Uh, okay, I I I do not like this card because it still allows my opponents to search. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. You're just salty that it's not literally opposition agent. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I, okay, if it were opposition agent, but like my opponents drew a card and gained life, I'd be fine. That's great. This card would be awesome. But don't, don't think of it as a hate card. I think people are misevaluating this card. It's, it's not a hate card. It doesn't it's, stop your opponent from doing anything. You're a million percent right there. But it's white card draw. Like I feel like this is gonna draw a high number of cards in your average commander game, assuming you play it on turn two. Okay, so then we we go from the point of view where, okay, let's say just card draw. Isn't there just better than just a vanilla 2-2? In mono-wise? It's just bigger (sighs) spirited companion. I mean, you can't blink it, but you can get multiple. Like, the thing is, no one will play around this, right? Like, they can't even, like, save up the extra mana to pay for your trigger, right? They'll just be like, well, I'm not going to waste removal, so I'm just going to crack my fetches into this. And I think you're gonna have the time of your life. I think you're gonna draw a lot of cards. Like, would you would you hold fetches or like attempt to remove this thing? Like, no, right? So no. I think no. this is like a two mana yeah. draw three or four or something like that attached to a body with flash and some life gain. So I actually think it's really good. I, I think. This what do you think about so legacy? <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Legacy. This, <laughs> this people have been this. Uh, this is something people have been talking about. Like you just run out on legacy. Everyone's playing like twelve fetch lands. Eh, death and taxes or something. Uh, death and taxes want to draw cards like this. Yeah, I guess that that's might the be question, true. right? If you do, I think this would be great. But what if they just like fetch and then kill you because you played this thing and you're not hindering them in any way, right? <laughs> what you do is you do more mana dorks or whatever in your hand, right? That's the question. But if you want to draw <laughs> yeah. cards, like I think this could be good. Yeah, it might. It might not be. It might not be good enough. I think people might try it in Legacy, but whether or not it actually sticks, I'm not sure. I also love how this interacts with like Field of Ruin and other stuff that forces your yeah. opponents to search. Like <laughs> crack a Field of Ruin, everyone has to search. You draw three oh. and you get your land back because of Field of Ruin. Wait a minute, interesting. Yeah, or or like scheming symmetry. Like you get to draw a card you and you get to set up opponent. the top. Of your I deck. don't know if I want to ramp the table. Yeah, I don't know how to ramp the table to draw two cards. <laughs> That's well, you don't ramp them though because you kill a land, so no, they break your other two lands. opponents. Oh, you're talking about yeah. One. Oh, right, 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 right. Two two opponents would get to ramp. That's true. One of them wouldn't, and then yeah, two of them would. Yeah, we we don't want any of them to ramp. <laughs> Can you imagine this was a human? <laughs> oh, that would be, yeah. That would be if so this were strong. a human, yes. it would be a little bit better. I would rank it higher if it were a human. Its creature types are pretty useless. That's cleric. Like, Halfling doesn't have support. Cleric, I guess. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen someone play a cleric deck, but there you can play a cleric deck in Commander. It would be way stronger as a human, though. I think I just play this in every white deck. Like, I, for now, until proven otherwise, I think this is the, the Esper Sentinel of the set, where you just, no setup, no anything, you just... Run it out there, trust that it's going to draw you two or three cards, and you're thrilled about that for two mana in a, in a mono-white deck. Unfortunately, all my decks will continue looking like white weenie decks. <laughs> it's not my fault White's, my card draw comes with a 2-2 body, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's my card draw. What do you want? Um, speaking of mono-white cards, uh, Legion Loyalty, six white-white, enchantment mythic. Creatures you control have myriad. 
And remember, Myriad is when a creature with Myriad attacks for each opponent other than defending player, create a token that's a copy of that creature that's attacking uh, that player or planeswalker they control. Exile the tokens at end of combat. This card's <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. This, this is a card I just want to get on the battlefield most. I think out of all the cards we've seen, it's just, it's like a big panharmonicon ish get a bunch of triggers, like... It's just super fun. I think it's probably not very good. Like, if you actually just want to kill people, you should just cast, like, whatever the Necromas card is from the Necromas first Commander Memorial. Legends. Oh. Yeah. No, the, the four mana instant double strike yep. protection from will. everything. Like, no there's much easier ways to actually just kill someone. But if you just want to have a ridiculous turn with a ton of tokens and triggers and just, like, fun stuff happening, this card's going to get it done. Like, it, it just seems so much fun to have on the battlefield. <laughs> It is a bit beefy on the mana. <laughs> hey, man. Yes. Yes, it is. Like, obviously, it'd be too broken if it had, like, Convoke. But, like, yeah, <laughs> like, eight, eight mana is a bit beefy. I don't know. Is is it just me? But, like, this whole set, after they showed me Elder Brain, the only thing that's had me really excited was Tasha. But, like, this feels kind of eh? I I will say I think the mana cost is kind of fair, just because if you look at what it costs to myriad a single creature, like Blade of Cells, yeah, it's two yeah. to cast four to equip. We got a new legend that's six mana that gives one creature myriad in haste. So based on how much wizards values myriad, eight mana to give everything myriad all the time is probably a fair price. At the same time, eight mana, though... There, you're gonna have a lot of games where this is stuck in your hand, or you're gonna. The nightmare is you got this. You're at seven mana. You're like waiting to make the land drop the next turn and play this, and yeah. your opponent like Wrath of Gods the turn before, and then you just like play this on an empty board and cry yourself to sleep and pass the turn. Like, I don't think it's good. I don't know. Am I wrong, Richard? Could this card actually be good, or is this just like a weird, huge fun card? This is a horrendous as your finisher. <laughs> no, like you have to have a full board of ETBs. Or like and a lethal board. And remember, like your commander just dies, right? Like, so you you need to not myriad your commander. Or like you're you're only using it for ETBs, right? Like the the creatures don't hit. Yep. Unless you mirror box or something. Like, I don't know. It's it's kind of janky. Like, I think the best case is like you have all these ETB triggers or damage triggers. You play this, you get all this value, and then you refill your hand to do something else. But I don't know, it's like eight mana. And I feel this needs to be Boros or something. Like, you, you have to play in a deck that, like, can really attack if you want the combat to actually work. Otherwise, it's just, like, why don't you just play, like, Eerie Interlude? Blink all your creatures for, like, three, get all your ETVs <laughs> and call it a day, right? Like, yeah, no, that that is true. I mean, uh, some decks can cheat and to play, like, again uh, is good at reanimating enchantments. Ooh, that kind of yeah, helps, yeah, yeah. like... Maybe maybe if you build around it in the right way or reanimated or something to get it into play a little bit cheaper. I love the idea of having on the battlefield edition because Myriad will double trigger. And then you got, oh, my God, you're going to have all kinds of creatures doing all kinds of things. So there are ways that it can be really, really spicy. But hey, man, it's just so much. But at the same time, if this was four mana or something, I think it would just be oh. busted and no, unfun. No, yeah, so like, I think they had to make it unplayably expensive to make it like somewhat safe. But now that it's so expensive... Ugh, it's going to be hard for most decks to make use of it, I think. All right. Uh, so that's all the time we have for spoilers. So you can check them all out at mtgpreviews.com. We have a ton of Baldur's Gate. Remember, there is 
a draftable set and then also some pre-cons coming up. So there's a ton of cards for Baldur's Gate. Uh, anyway, I think, do we have any time to squeeze in a fish mail, Richard? Maybe just one, a quick one. All right, we'll, we'll squeeze in a fish mail. We'll see. Surely nothing controversial has happened this week that we need to comment <laughs> on. All right. This is an interesting one. T-Laser. Is Watsi silently taking over the RC? RC says no Planeswalker as commanders. Watsi says X can be your commander. RC says legendary permanents can't be your commanders. Watsi says choose a background. <laughs> or X can be your commander. <laughs> Shurikai. Uh, what do you, what do you make of this ongoing battle between Watsi and the RC? <sighs> I mean, when it comes down to it, Wizards wins, right? Because yeah. they have to print the cards. So, so, so no, 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 no matter RC what, like, you're... wins. They can ban them all if they had. Oh. Know, if, they, if they took the hard line hmm. stance of like all background cards banned. Oh wow! But oh, they would never man. do that, wish... right? But they could. No, they wouldn't. I wish I. Would, I wish they would just to see what Twitter was like that day. That would be an entertaining <laughs> day on MTG Twitter. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I really don't know. Like, I think my take is still that Wizards and the RC have a pretty good working relationship, and that I'm sure they don't agree with everything that each other does but i think in general they're they're pretty connected and i wouldn't be surprised if the rc knew about backgrounds before you know when wizards was designing them or wizards ran it by them we're like hey like uh, you know is this gonna be all right you know and then they got the sign off so that's how i view it maybe i'm wrong but that's that's my perception from the outside is they they kind of work hand in hand for the most part I think the RC is irrelevant at this point. I, I think Wizards <laughs> just does whatever. And there's no way the RC will ever do anything dramatic. I guess the most dramatic thing was Lutri, like a single card pre-banned. Um, but I can't imagine them just banning an entire mechanic or, you know, like preemptively banning Tasha. But I could see if you're like some commander purist, like you'd be aghast at what Wizards is doing, right? Like the, the commander format has changed a lot in the past couple of years. Um, so the RC needs to be up with the times, up with what R&D is doing for Wizards. Uh, otherwise, it's not you know, going to be this conflict all the time. And to be fair, I think when RC says no this, I think they mean as a blanket. So like, you know, having one or two Planeswalkers commanders is like not that bad, but they don't want every Planeswalker as a commander. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of background cards, so I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll we'll see if Wizards prints a legend that's like, you can play hybrid mana, even if it's outside your color identity. <laughs> then we'll know that the battle's really on between between Marrow and Wizards and the RC. <laughs> what, what other favorite card? Uh, you can play cards named Primeval Titan in your deck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be, wow, that would be so funny. Con I mean, I don't think they would actually do anything like that. but So they would essentially be con conjuring something off the ban list. Got it. Yeah, you know, I actually want to see. I want to see them print a power crept prime time, like five mana prime time. And I want to see what see what, what EDA okay. uh, what what the RC committee does in response to that. Whether they ban the new one or unban prime time. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, so that's our one question for the week. Uh, we'll be back to more questions uh, when we're outside of preview season and don't have so much to cover. So thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have more questions in the future, send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail. And I believe that brings us to the end of episode 382 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. Richard Cribb, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we'll be back next week to talk more Commander Legends too and whatever 
whatever else goes on in the world of magic. So until then, have a great week, everyone. And this is the crew signing out. Thank you.